Uh, today we're going to finish up our series on the upper room as we finish off at John chapter 14. And so let's read our, our text for today. It says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And of course, this is why it's the end of the upper room, because he leaves the upper room. Uh, he actually heads off with his disciples uh, out of the city of Jerusalem, through the Kidron Valley, and up to the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And, uh, and so, probably in the fall, we'll pick this up in John 15, uh, do another series on this. Uh, but out of this, I want to focus in on this relationship between the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. Because all throughout John chapter 14, if you've been traveling along with us, you constantly hear Jesus talking about the Father, I'm the way to the Father, he's talking about himself, and he's also talking about the coming Holy Spirit. And so the question is, what is this relationship between the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? I mean, do we worship one God, the Father, and then he's got two sidekicks, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, do we worship three gods? Is Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit? I mean, how does this, this trio work together? And so this sermon will be uh, a bit more theological than the, than the, the average sermon. Uh, but theology is actually quite important um, because theology has to do with theo and ology, which ology means study, just like in biology or psychology or pizzaology or whatever you want to study, I don't know. And Theo is just the idea of God, so the study of God. And because we're called to be in a relationship with God, sometimes it's important that we to know stuff about him. And if you're going to get married to somebody and you're just like, man, I just want to experience you and I just want to love, but I really don't want to know anything about you. That doesn't work. Uh, we want to experience someone in a relationship. We want to love that person. We also want to know about them. And so that's where Theology comes into play, and we're going to look at the concept of uh, what is called the Trinity, how these three work together. And basically, Scripture gives us three points about God in this, in this kind of relationship between the three. Uh, first, Scripture would say that there is one God, and so if we talk about how many, how many gods do we worship, we say we, we, say we worship one God. Uh, the Bible also says that the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, are each fully God. So we can say to the Father, you are God. We can say to Jesus, you are God. We can say to the Holy Spirit, you are God. But as well, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not each other. Uh, they, they are distinct persons. And so uh, we will look at just some scripture that covers these, these points. Uh, first of all, the Bible says there is one God. We see right in the beginning of Deuteronomy. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or in Isaiah 45, uh, God is saying that there is no other God besides me. 
a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me, for I am God, there is no other. Or in James chapter 2, it says, you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And you know, if something that both God and the enemy and demons agree on is probably true. Uh, so uh, there is one God. But at the same time, uh, the Bible says the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are each fully God. It's not like each are like a third of God, but each are, are actually fully God. Uh, we see the Father is fully God. Eleven times in the New Testament, we see this phrase, God our Father. Um, I found this, this, const, this common phrase, and most people don't have an issue with this, the idea of the Father being God. Uh, but the Jesus, uh, Bible also mentions that Jesus as well is fully God. In John chapter 1, it says the one and only Son, obviously Jesus, says this, who him, is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. And so Jesus, who is fully God, is in relationship with the Father, who is also fully God. And Jesus has made the Father known. And you've heard me say this a million times, but I'm going to say it again because it is so important that Jesus is the one who reveals to us who God is and what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. And any image of God you have in your mind that doesn't line up with Jesus is somehow a wrong image because Jesus came to be the final revelation, the clearest revelation of who God is. And of course, Jesus has revealed a God who is more loving than we could ever imagine, more filled with grace than we could ever imagine, and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And Romans 9 uh, says, Christ, who is God over all, or Titus chapter 2 says, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the ones that is really just really clear, hard to hear, is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. It says, of the Son, that's he, that's the Father, that's God, of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. In other words, if the Father is calling Jesus God, then it kind of settles it. And so the Father calling Jesus God forever and ever in this, in, in this um, verse. Now, what's unique about Jesus being different than the Holy Spirit and the Father, is that Jesus is not only fully God, but he is also man. Because uh, we know that Jesus comes down from heaven, and he is born in Bethlehem uh, through the Virgin Mary, and he is actually fully man. And so there's actually, if you want a fancy theological word, called the hypostatic union. Uh, the idea of God, uh, Jesus being fully man and fully God. And so we see how Jesus... Uh, being born as a human is found in John chapter 1. It's it talked about the Word was God. It's Jesus being God. But then it says that the Word, or Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus didn't first appear in Bethlehem, but Jesus always has been God. But on that day, he comes down and is born as a human. And Philippians 2 as well points this out. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so when Jesus was walking the planet, he's fully God, yes, but he's also completely fully human in every single way. And this is why we read things in, in, in the Bible, like Luke chapter 2, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. 
Or did Jesus got hungry or Jesus got tired? Jesus needed sleep. There was a time when Jesus got overwhelmed. And in Mark 14, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now we know God doesn't grow in wisdom and stature. God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need sleep. Uh, God doesn't get overwhelmed. Uh, but Jesus did. Because fully God, yes, but also fully human. And when Jesus walked this planet, he actually walked this planet like 100% human. Uh, this is why there are times when we see that Jesus didn't know everything. Again, God knows everything, but Jesus, as a human, did not know everything. In Mark 13, uh, Jesus says, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Or Luke 8, Jesus asks, Who touched me? <laughs> well, God knew, but Jesus didn't know. And this is important in our theology to understand that Jesus was fully human. Now, at any moment, he could have, uh, you know, leaned on his God powers because he was still fully God, but he chose to live fully as a human, and the reason is because he came to redeem us. He came to take our place, and we are fully, fully human. We get tired, we get hungry, we get overwhelmed, uh, we don't know everything, and Jesus had to be fully like us in order to fully redeem us. As one uh, theologian, Gregory uh, Nizanza, said, what God has not assumed is not saved. And so just as we lean on the Father, Jesus had to lean on the Father because he walked this life uh, fully as a human. Again, any moment he could have picked up, I mean, he said, at any moment I could call a thousand angels to come and rescue me, but he didn't. He lived as a human and died as a human. And so Jesus is this, this interesting uh, person being he's fully human and fully God. As Colossians 2 says about Jesus, in Christ all the fullness not 80%, not 50%, but all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so Jesus as this, this God-man. So we saw the Father's God, Jesus is God. The Bible also says the Holy Spirit is, is also fully God. And, and we see that because the Holy Spirit is also often found in this trio, like in Matthew 28. Uh, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, not names, notice that it's the name, one God, three persons, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit weren't God, it'd be kind of odd to throw the Holy Spirit into this mix in the singular name. And so again, we see in 2 Corinthians, these three being allotted together, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, talking about the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are each fully, fully God. But the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not each other. In other words, it's wrong to think about God as, you know, one God who puts on three different masks. You know, like if, you know, if I were an actor and I was in a play and, uh, and uh, they were short, they didn't have enough actors, so I had to play the role of, of like the, the, the baker and then later I'd come out with a different mask and play the you know, I don't know, the, the superhero, and then later I come out as, as the ninja. I don't know what kind of play that would be, but it sounds cool. Uh, but it's all me. I just appear with a different mask on my face, and, and, and that's, it's not the way God works. God doesn't sometimes appear as the Father, and sometimes as Jesus, and sometimes as the Holy Spirit. No, they're not each other. We can talk to the Father. We can talk to Jesus. We can talk to the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, we see them often in the same scene. We see all three together, like in the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down like a, a dove, and there's a voice from heaven, which is the Father. And so, uh, again, all throughout John chapter 14, again, we see Jesus talking about these three not being the same. Uh, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Again, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not, not each other. And so here's the three points again. Uh, there's one God. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are each fully God. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not each other. Now, we might look at this and say, I think it sounds like a contradiction. I mean, is, is that a con contradiction? Well, no, it's more of a mystery. A contradiction would be if we said we worship one God and three gods. That would be a contradiction. But we don't say that. One God and three persons. It's, it's in the category of, 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 of a great mystery. And so a definition can be this, that one divine being eternally exists as three divine and distinct persons. And, and this is probably the best way to map it out, if you want a kind of a visual picture of what the, the scriptures say. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. And so to try to, if you were to map, map this out. Uh, the word Trinity is actually what we use to describe this. Uh, the word Trinity is, is not found in the Bible. Um, it, it was not used until about 200 AD. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, uh, he's the one who coined this phrase, and he said this, we worship unity and Trinity, and Trinity and unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost, but the uh, but the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. And, uh, and some people will criticize, well, this word Trinity is not found in the Bible. The word is just used to describe what the Bible teaches. Because it's a lot simpler to say the Trinity than having to say, there's one God and the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father and Jesus are not each other. It's just a lot simpler to say the Trinity. That's why that, that word is... is is there. Uh, throughout church history, um, there have been various like hand symbols actually used to describe the Trinity. And if you've been maybe in more traditional circles, you've seen people like do, do the sign of the cross from your head to your chest to the right to the left. And often what they will do, and this dates way back to the early church, is there's kind of two ways you can do it with your fingers. There's, well, there's one like this where this represents the Trinity. And these two fingers down here re represent Jesus being fully human and fully, uh, fully God. Or you can do it this way, where this is the Trinity, and this is Jesus as fully human, fully God. And sometimes the fingers are crossed, like in this ancient picture, depicting the cross. And by the way, which is kind of an interesting point, you know the phrase, now I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> you know, let's cross our fingers. Let's this. That actually comes out of Christianity because of this hand signal. Because when you cross your fingers... It's, again, it's a picture of the cross. If you say we're crossing our fingers, it's like, let's look to the cross. Let's bring Jesus into this. Uh, it's, it's a Christian thing. It's, uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, let's cross our fingers, because it's like, let's bring Jesus into this, because if Jesus is in this, something's going to happen. And so often this, this would be used, again, for the, you'd hold your fingers that way, and then you'd do the, the sign of the cross. It's kind of a, an ancient tradition. Uh, don't do that much here, but more so if you were in, in other circles of Christianity, you would do it more. Now, sometimes we, because the Trinity is kind of this complex thing, this mystery, sometimes we want to try to make it simple, uh, simple 
and say, well, the Trinity is kind of like, like this object lesson. And, um, and sometimes uh, people use the idea of, of HCO or water because water can be a solid, liquid, or gas. It's all the same substance. You know, ice is HCO, H2O, liquid. Water is H2O, gas is H2O. So this is like the Trinity. But you know, every object lesson falls short. Every object lesson has things that are like the Trinity and things that are not like the Trinity. And so some people say never use object lessons to describe the Trinity. Personally, I would say we can use them as long as we say what it's like and what it's not like. Uh, because this is kind of like the Trinity in terms of, I mean, again, gas is fully H2O, liquid is fully H2O, the solid is fully H2O. But what makes this difference is um, they can't be, uh, you know, the, the, the gas is, can't be ice at the same time or liquid at the same time. This is the idea of, again, like an actor coming out with three different masks on. <laughs> and so it falls short uh, with that. Or some people use the egg. The Trinity's like an egg. One egg, three parts. You've got the shell, you've got the yolk, and you've got the, the white, which is good in a sense. It can help us, but it also falls short because the yolk is not the same substance as the shell. Or the, the white is not the same substance of the yolk, which would be more aligned with, 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 the, with the Trinity. Now let's hit this verse, because this verse in, in our text in the upper room uh, actually created one of the biggest controversies ever to hit Christianity in the history of Christianity. Had to, to do partly with, the, with this verse. It was such a huge controversy that uh, it almost split like Christianity, almost split the Roman Empire. In John 14, 28, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And the question is, how can... If Jesus is fully God, how can he say the Father is greater than I? And most theologians, of course, today would say, because Jesus being fully human, and his humanness, obviously the Father is, is greater than Jesus. But there was a guy back in about 300 AD, a guy named Arius, who wanted to simplify the mystery of the Trinity, because it's kind of complicated. He said, let's make this simple. And so he came up with this concept that God the Father created Jesus. And then God the Father and Jesus kind of both created the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit is kind of the their kind of active force and, and does stuff like that. Uh, and they say he would say this, this just made, makes the concept simple. Well, this became such a debate in Christianity. Uh, people were on both sides of this issue. In fact, sometimes there were actually more Christians on this side than on the Orthodox side, and people were wondering which way the Roman Empire was going to go in, the, in this grand theological. Debate. It was such a big debate that it was splitting the empire. The emperor Constantine actually had to step in and say, church people, you need to figure this out. And so he calls together what is famously known as the Council of Nicaea, which was the first ecumenical council. The first council where Christians from all different walks of Christianity got together to solve this issue because it was pulling apart the, the, the empire. You might say, why did it take to the year 325 for the first ecumenical council to happen? The reason was, this Christianity was pretty much illegal up to this point. And Christians were being persecuted. And they were being killed. And they didn't have time to figure out, figure out these detailed theological issues because they were just trying to stay alive. <laughs> they are trying to protect their families. And, and they had other important things like that. But Emperor Constantine legalized, legalized Christianity. It was the first time it was actually safe for all these Bible teachers to get together. There are about 320 of these that got together. And uh, some people suppose, if you go to the, the land of la-la internet theology, 
because we get some internet stuff, interesting stuff sometimes from internet theology, uh, that Constantine forced the idea of the Trinity upon the Council of Nicaea, or Constantine somehow forced the church to believe that Jesus was God. But the reality is, these 320 church leaders and Bible teachers, you've got to realize when they walked into this council, many of these Bible teachers were missing eyes. Many of these theologians were missing arms and missing legs, heavily beat because they were being persecuted. These were not church leaders who were in it for political power or in it for money. I mean, these are people who are willing to die for their faith in Jesus and had scars and limbs missing and eyes missing to prove it. And these guys were so dedicated to come together to decide what does the Bible teach about Jesus and what has the church always taught. And they met together and they discussed. And in the end, uh, they came uh, out with what is known as the Nicene Creed. And part of it says this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of his Father, of the substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, and that's not mean, mean doesn't mean being born, it means relationship, not made. And then it says, as being of one substance with the Father's, of the same stuff, the same essence of the Father. In other words, Jesus wasn't created, but has been fully God and has always been fully God. And on the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven. And, and uh, do you know that the Nicene Creed and this idea of the Trinity is, is the one thing that all Christians agree on? I mean, if you don't realize, Christians disagree on a lot of stuff. I mean, you can pretty much take any theological topic and have this big table where you have people from different walks of Christianity and from different generations in Christianity. And I tell you, pretty much every theological issue is going to have a, a lots of different opinions, but not this one. Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, all agree and hold to the Nicene Creed and all agree on the concept of the Trinity. It's one of those things that is central to the faith and that all Christians agree on. Can't agree on anything else, but we agree on this. Uh, the, the Nicene Creed. Now, there's another reason, and now I'll get to more application here, that the idea of the Trinity is a necessity. And that is because God is love. Because God is love. C.S. Lewis said this, All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has, uh, has for another. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. You can't be love on your own. I mean, you can't be like some isolated person who spends all your time by yourself, say, I'm the most loving person ever. I mean, you can't do that because love by definition is other-centered. Love by definition is giving. And uh, God is love. It doesn't say that God like, does loving things. He actually is love. And by the necessity of that, then Jesus, the, the, the idea of the Trinity, that God coexisting with Father, Son, Holy Spirit for all of eternity has to be. Because if it wasn't have to be, then there was a point that God was not love because he was just by himself. Uh, Greg Boyd, he's one of my favorite theologians, he unpacks this a bit more and he says this. He says, the most beautiful and profound truth revealed in the New Testament in fact, I'd argue it's the most beautiful and powerful concept in all of history. For the doctrine of the tr Trinity 
magnificently expresses the truth that God is love. Love isn't merely an attribute God has, nor is love merely an activity God does. Love is what God eternally is. Love can only exist between persons, which is why only a God who eternally exists as a community of persons can be said to be love in and of himself. A God who existed as a single consciousness in the midst of absolute nothingness before creating the world could not said to be love. Love could not be the essence of this solitary God. The solitary God would need to create other persons in order to begin to love. But this is not the case for the triune God revealed in, uh, not the case for the triune God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Trinity is not, is the only view of God that can claim that God never started loving and that God will never stop loving. For this is the only view of God in which God is intrinsically and eternally loving, whether he decides to create a world outside himself or not. The revelation that God is triune is the revelation that love is not merely a verb that God does, it's the noun that God is. God always does the verb because God always is the noun. God is and always has been love, and therefore God is and always has been loving. And it's a beautiful concept, the idea of, of the Trinity, that God has been perfecting and just perfect in love for all of history. And the most amazing part about this is in this Trinity of perfect, beautiful love that has been flowing for all eternity, the Trinity welcomes us into its midst, into the middle of the Trinity. Back in, in 2 Peter 1.4, uh, Peter says this, he has given to us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Some translations say partake or share. The God is actually wanting us to share or participate in his divine nature. It's like the Trinity has these hands out just saying, come in. Come into the triune God to experience this love of, of the triune being. In fact, John 17, this verse is packed with images of the Trinity. Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, Jesus here is talking about all followers of Jesus. This applies to all of us and, and all the Christians in the world today. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. And then it says this, have loved them even as you love me. And what he's saying there is Jesus saying, the same love the Father has for the Son is the same love that the Father has for you and me. And notice what he says here, that they, uh, may they also be in us. Again, this is the, the, the triune God in this perfect love reaching out saying, may you be in me. We're inviting you into the Trinity. And this love is not less. The same love the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Holy Spirit is the exact same love that is flowing towards you. Even though we screw up and we mess up and we don't do everything right, God's love is so perfect that it just shines through all of our junk and our garbage. 
and he loves us with the same love that is flowing in the Trinity. And he just says, come on in. And I hope all of you receive that invitation to just walk into the midst of the Trinity and participate in this divine nature, in this love. I mean, the reality, if you are sitting here, you are so loved. You are so loved. More than you could ever imagine or dream, you are loved with the same love that is so powerful. It's holding together the Trinity for, for all eternity. In fact, John 14 says this from our text. Jesus says, on that day, and I hope that's today, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Just as Jesus is in the Father, which I mean, we can't even, like, I mean, there's separate persons, but they're each fully God, and there's one God. I mean, it's such a unique mystery of oneness. Jesus says, in the same way, we are in Jesus, and we are in the Trinity. This is uniqueness of him just enveloping us into the midst of the Trinity. We get to participate in the divine nature, and that we are so one with Christ that he puts, this is, I mean, it's crazy what he says, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, meaning wherever we are, the triune God is. Wherever you are, the love of the Trinity is just saturating your being. And it doesn't matter if you're having a great day or you're having the worst day and you keep messing up. You're being saturated in the love of the Trinity because you are in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. And he is part of this, this, this triune God. Now, all this love should radically change us. I mean, it should radically change us. The reality that we are in and being saturated in this love. And this is why in the same text, Jesus talks a lot about unity. A lot about unity. Again, look what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them, not just some, but all Christians... He's talking about all who believe in me. Anyone who says, I believe in Jesus and they believe in their heart, this is what he's talking about. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Like, Jesus said, I want all Christians to be one just like the Trinity. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I want all Christians, all who believe in Jesus, to be one just like the Trinity. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you had sent me. Again, this to be a testimony of the world. I have given them the glory you gave me. Now, you think about how much glory the Father gave Jesus. Jesus says that same glory he has given to us. That we carry the glory of God. Why? That they may be one as we are one. That Jesus, I have given you the glory so that all Christians might be unified like the Trinity. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to you complete, he says this over and over again, complete unity. Then the world will know, I mean, this was to be the testimony, that God is love and God is good and God is great, is the unity of Christians across the world. This is what Jesus is praying for. This is what he's saying, but maybe they be one, and not just a superficial oneness, but such a unity that it resembles the Trinity. But we know Christians have done a really crappy job of this. <laughs> I mean, I think they say there's like 30,000 denominations, which is kind of a twisted statistic because that includes all the independent churches. Uh, but we're very divided. And, and again, uh, we as Christians, we don't agree on pretty much most things. Uh, again, you can either any theological topic, you could put it around a table and, and you could have all Christians for different centuries around the table. You could throw on the table 
you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have all these ideas. You can throw on the table, you know. Uh, can you lose your salvation? Can you not lose your salvation? You have lots of ideas. You can throw on the table, you know, uh, lots of issues and lots of disagreement. But again, there's unity around the Trinity. And out of this unity of the Trinity is to flow the unity amongst ourselves. Now, God is not looking for us to agree on everything. It's awesome that we have different flavors of Christianity. and it's, I love theological discussions where people have different views than me. I mean, I mean, the Bible was meant to, to be open to actually start a discussion. But so often we as Christians open the Bible to close the discussions. In my view, it's right. I mean, we've got to learn in Christianity to have good theological discussions. And still, in the end, say, I don't agree with you, but the reality is you are my brother. You are my sister. And I'm going to be one with you because this is what Jesus said. And the reality is to go back to the scene of being enveloped in the love of the Trinity and God's reaching out to you, bringing you into the love of the Trinity, but he's also reaching out to that other Christian whom you disagree with and pulling them into the love of the Trinity. And in the midst of that love of the Trinity, how can you look at that brother and say, ah, out with you, I'm splitting up with you, you horrible person, you disagree on a theological issue. I mean, you can't do that. Again, this concept of the love of the Trinity is to saturate everything we do. And so we go back to the Trinity, we go back to the Council of Nicaea, this creed, it's the one thing all Christians agree on. And out of that, we build, we build our unity. And so uh, we're going to finish here before we enter into communion. And I don't know if this will work, but let's try to read the Nicene Creed together. I'm not sure if we can keep it together, but let's try. We'll have unity, Justin. What's that? We'll have good unity. Yeah, we're supposed to have unity. But even if we disagree in different... Cadences, it's okay. We love each other, right? <laughs> Let's go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 